Sup, I'm Logan, and it's Thursday at 11, which means you're listening to Multiversal on Weagle 91.1 Auburn. Multiversal is a show where we talk about comics. So for the next two hours, I will be talking about comic book news, reviews, movies, TV shows, and more. With anybody from around the multiverse able to pop in, you won't want to miss it. So sit back, relax, and let me be your Multiversal tour guide. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to the first episode of Multiversal. I am your host, Logan Hurston. You may know me. I do a two-hour music show on Monday called Beat Drop. This is my new comic book podcast where we're going to talk all things comics, movies, TV shows, literally anything. Marvel, DC, independent, things off the table. Normally, we would have a two-hour time slot, but it is the Super Bowl week. Whoop, whoop. I'm also a sports fan, so sorry, guys, if you're just nerds. But we left our first hour to Griggs and Daniel on the Eagles Nest. They did a great job. If you go back and listen to that episode, you can hear my picks for the week in the last 15 minutes. Our topics for this week are going to be to get a little bit of get-to-know-me. I'm going to do my top five comic book movies since... Most people don't actually read the books yet. I'm going to do a top five comic books after that. And then I'm going to hit you with the news for the week. And my goodness, there was a lot of news these last couple weeks in the comic book world and the movie world. But um, next week, we're going to have a little bit of a Peacemaker recap. Normally, we will be doing an episode recap every time it comes out. But since I'm a little late to my start here... All Peacemaker will be out by the time I do my podcast next week. So we're just going to cover it all. Um, In this show, I'm going to be your main host, but anybody can pop in from Weagle or just outside. If you want to come on the show, if you're hearing this right now, you can DM me on Instagram at DavisLoganHurston or on Twitter at LHurston. That's E-L-H-U-R-S-T-O-N there. And I will, you know... We'll talk. We'll see if you want to come on. You have ideas for a topic, something you want to talk about. You know, in off weeks when there's nothing, no news, no you know, new shows or movies coming out, I'm sure we'll do a recap of old movies and stuff like that. We'll have some people pop in. I have, I'm trying to set up a Batman vs. Superman episode right now because it's a very heated topic between me and some of the other Weagle hosts on <laughs> that movie because I very much do not like that movie. But without further ado... We're just going to hop in to my top five superhero movies all time. With my number five pick, I'm going to have to go Spider-Man 2. I mean, yeah, it honestly could have been higher in the past, but recent, the recency bias kind of knocked it down. But, man, what a good movie. It's just the perfect comic book movie. The one thing Sam Raimi got right about all those movies was just to keep the 1960s comic book Esque vibes to it. I mean, those are some of the most quotable movies I have ever watched. We watch very often here in the Weagle Studio. We'll be sitting in the bullpen and we will just throw on those three movies and the quotes and just rattle off these quotes. I mean, literally, you heard the J. Jonah Jameson ID as you started the show. So it's just, it's so great. The villain, it's the best of the three by far. You know, one's really, really good, but it's not. You know, the best superhero movie by far or anything like that. Um, three is, it's underappreciated. A lot of people hate that movie. And I used to not like it a lot. But in hindsight, it is nowhere near as bad as some movies we've gotten nowadays. 
I mean, it's honestly the Sandman scene in that movie is might be my favorite scene of all those trilogies. It's just pure art. And, you know, the only reason I really feel like that movie's bogged down a little bit is because Sam Raimi based all of his trilogy on the 1960s, 70s, 80s comic books that he grew up reading. And Venom was, well, 60s and 70s. Venom wasn't introduced to like the 80s or the 90s. And it's a very different character than what Raimi is trying to set up in his Spider-Man. So it really just didn't mesh. Plus, they wanted to throw, you know, Venom, Sandman. You also had the new Goblin and Harry Osborn, you know. Little Goblin Jr. It just it didn't work as well, but there's still some really good spots in that movie. Plus, also the great dance by Tobey Maguire when he gets a symbiote. The get on up, don't get driving that funkin' soul. A little bit of a Sam Cooke, you know. Oh, we and me and my friends quote that song and that scene so often. But let's get on to Spider-Man Two. Spider-Man Two by far is the best movie out of that trilogy. It is the best villain in Doc Ock, which personally, is my favorite Spider-Man villain ever. I think Goblin's probably the best, but I just have a soft spot for Doc Ock because he's, like, not even, like, a villain. Like, they showed in this movie. The only reason he started acting evil is because the chip, you know, the arms were in control over him. By the way, spoilers if you haven't seen this film. I'm going to spoil it. On this podcast, we might have certain segments that are for new shows and stuff, spoiler-free, but for the most part, I'm just going to say what I want to say. And if you have a problem with that, you can watch the shows and watch the playback later. But, oh, Spider-Man 1 is a great film. I mean, Spider-Man 2, <laughs> where am I going? Spider-Man 2 is just great. The whole him do- deciding to quit Spider-Man, Spider-Man No More, that storyline. Just perfect images. I love, too, as soon as he retires, J. Jonah Jameson's like, he was a hero and finds a suit. And he's like, he was the true hero of this city. And as soon as he steals it back, he's a menace. He got want Spider-Man. I think we have that soundbite too in Weagle somewhere. If I find it, I will play it. But, oh, that film's great. Doc Ock, the whole storyline. I feel like that's the strongest Kristen Dunst did in any of those films. I personally, I'm not a big fan of her, Mary Jane. Um, but she was she was good in that one. She was pretty good. And the whole upside down kiss and the Mary and James Jones same son. You see Spider Man's life just kinda go into the gutter. And that is, you know, Spider Man has really been bogging down the Peter Parker side of his life. And as soon as he quits Spider Man, he becomes, you know, great as Peter Parker. He becomes happy, content, but he also loses his powers in the whole wet block scene that they mentioned in No Way Home. I love the whole montage of him becoming Peter Parker and eating the hot dog and becoming that nerd again. With, like, just so happy actually becoming, like, a good... Well, he's a good person, but, you know, like, a good friend, a good, you know, all that stuff. But, and, of course, the final fight, the uh, the iconic train scene, like, literally maybe the most iconic scene out of any film, of any superhero film, is when he stops that train when, with every unmasked, like, Christ pose, everyone there seeing him deciding not to say anything, and they're like, he's just a kid. He's no older than my boy. I mean, there's just no perfection, more perfection in that scene, of course. And then at the end, the Doc Ock sacrifice is just so beautiful. And, you know, seeing him back again in No Way Home was just a cherry on top, but, like, him, you know, the power of the sun in the palm of my hand. Perfect line, which is kind of scary now since... 
China is <laughs> developing an artificial sun. I'm a little worried now about that, especially after watching what happened in Spider-Man 2. So that will be the end of my number five. I want to end it right with this little sound bite. I heard Spider-Man was there. Speaking of Spider-Man, my number four is also a Spider-Man film. Don't hate me. This is the last Spider-Man film on the list. I like Spider-Man a lot. I feel like he is probably the most solid repertoire of movies. The only movie that I will say that has came out of any Spider-Man film that's been bad is Amazing Spider-Man 2. And even that has its charms with the whole relationship between Gwen and Peter, played by Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield. Just amazing chemistry. By far the best love interest in any of those films. Well, my number four... It's gotta be Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I mean, when they started saying that Sony was gonna make that film, I remember this because I was like, oh, they're gonna do Miles. That's really early. I'm worried because Sony has been recently, in that time, dropping the ball. They made Spider-Man, made Spider-Man 2. Made Spider-Man was alright. It was extremely dated now. Spider-Man 2 was, I mean, Spider-Man 2 was just not good. The villains were just terrible. I feel bad for Jamie Foxx. He did well with what he was given, but the whole backstory for Electro I thought was terrible. I thought the um, the Green Goblin Harry in that film was just the ugliest thing I've ever seen and did make no sense. And they gutted the film when they made it, so even the better cut was never seen the light of the day, which, you know, if we can get a Snyder cut and people are clamoring for an Ayer cut and we get like three, every Snyder film has like an ultimate edition why can't we get, like, an ultimate edition of Amazing Spider-Man 2? Like, a new cut. Like, come on now. Like, I feel like we're due for that. Especially after the reception in No Way Home. Uh, people are clamoring for Andrew to finish his trilogy and all that stuff. But let's go back to um, Spider-Verse. When that they rumored about that film and they said it was going to be animated and, and stuff like that, I was a little worried. I thought they were going to water down the story. I didn't know how they were going to do it. I remember seeing the first footage, which was very similar to the um, the leap of faith scene, which I thought was cool, but I also didn't know how the you know animation was. You only really saw Spider-Man, which you know isn't as hard to animate as like the facial features and stuff like that. But then I went to see Venom 2017, the first one, with my friends, and the end credit scene was the scene from Into the Spider-Verse where he goes to Peter Parker's grave and then Peter B. Parker shows up and they have the whole train scene and all that stuff. And let me tell you, I was floored. I was like flabbergasted. I told my friends, that's going to be the movie. That's going to be better than everything else. When I saw that, I have read Miles Morales' story as a kid when, when it first came out. I was so excited. I thought he's a great... He is maybe the best legacy character they have ever created in Marvel and or DC. I may be bold statement, but like he's the best like that just takes over the mantle and it just works. He's he's so different from Peter, but also so similar at the same time. But it's not like it's just a carbon copy. He's his own person. And it's I love Miles. So when I saw that scene and I saw that they were gonna do the death of Peter Parker, the ultimate Spider Man story in that movie, I was floored. The animation looks, I mean, top-notch. I'm so excited for Spider-Verse 2 um, across the Spider-Verse. There's going to be a two-parter. The movie itself had amazing writing. Some of the best animation I've ever seen. Normally, I don't really like that 3D style of animation. I'm beyond, Unless it's like Pixar. I don't like that kind of 3D CGI shade, but it just works for me. They made it pop like a comic book. Like, there's no other movie you can watch 
that it's literally like you are reading a comic book by the panels, how it cartoony it was. The spider people they picked using this film were perfect. Spider Gwen, you know, obviously they had the Peter Parker and the Peter B. Parker, who did a great job by Jake Johnson, who originally was supposed to be either him or Chris Pine's character. I'm pretty sure Jake Johnson's Peter B. Parker was supposed to be Tobey Maguire. Like they had the same beats, but then they just. Either they couldn't agree on money or they just didn't do it. Which I'm kind of glad they didn't now because we saw him in No Way Home. But, man, that movie's so good. Spider-Gwen, which, honestly, I wasn't sure how well she really played in the comic books as well. Because, you know, it was kind of like, oh, it's just Gwen Stacy as Spider-Man. Has grown into her own, especially in that movie. I felt like she was an amazing job. Um, Penny Parker was kind of an odd choice. Not really a popular character. Barely even used, but... You know, they had to kind of throw in the zany. That She was good. I liked her relationship with her um, mech. Of course, Spider-Man Noir, great. And, of course, you get Nicolas Cage, the voice actum. I mean, perfect. And then John Mulaney as Spider-Ham. You have to have Spider-Ham. He's so good. But, yeah, that film was great. The whole scene where Miles becomes his own and gets out of the chair after the empowering speech by his father, just basically saying that he loves him, is perfect. The Leap of Faith. I mean, everything you do, you made Miles a star in that film. It, it's just, it was perfect. I mean, I can't say much more on it than that. But it looks like we're getting close to our 15-minute break. So I'll come back on my top three after 15. Maybe I won't ramble on as long. But I'm going to hit you with a, a little bit of a two-minute PSA, and I'll be back. Yo, 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 we are back in multiversal i'm gonna hit my top three um right now which number three is gonna be it's gonna be controversial people are gonna say it should be number one but number three is dark knight um i think the dark knight is a stellar film i think it's the best of the nolan trilogy and i think it's heightened by especially heath ledger's performance as the Joker, which, you know, is an all-time great performance. Some people say it's the greatest villain performance of all time. I don't know if I would say that, but I would say it's up there. Um, but it's controversial because a lot of people think that's the number one. Like, they don't even, like, have this argument. But personally for me, I have, I'm a huge Batman fan. I will say that. I, I really do like Batman a lot. He's probably not my favorite DC hero. I'm a little bit of the obscure side, but I just, I don't know. I don't think... Christian Bale is the best Batman. In all honesty, I thought that Ben Affleck did a great job. He just he had just, just terrible scripts. Everything in that was just it was not good. But um, with that being said, Dark Knight will be my number three. I think it is a great film. Period. I thought they did well because they adapted it from one of my top five comic books of all time in um, The Long Halloween, which I'll get to later in the show, the whole Harvey Dent thing, which I love Harvey Dent. He might be my favorite Batman villain. I love Two-Face. I thought they did an amazing job with him. I thought he thought he did a really interesting and good job with the Joker, but also kind of, I don't know, it made it hard for anybody else to play that character. Like, Joaquin Phoenix did an amazing job. When he played him. But also I don't feel like that was really the Joker. Because the Joker is a character. That has no origin. You will never know the origin of the Joker. Because if you do. Then that kind of like takes the mystique off. And becomes some guy. No the Joker is just an 
agent of chaos, like they say in the film, which is just played beautifully by Heath Ledger. I thought, I don't know, everything in that film was great. The introduction of the Joker, the whole scene with him and Batman in Gotham police station where he's like, you, I don't, I don't want to kill you. You complete me. You want to know how I got these scars? My father was a drinker, you know, all that stuff. It was pretty good. Um, I thought Christian Bale did an all right job. He's not my favorite, but he's not the worst. I just don't like super hyper-realistic Batman because that's not what Batman is. I mean, he is kind of, but, like, I don't want every film to be that. And I say that, but I'm ultra excited for um, Robert Pattinson to take the role of Batman. I think he could become the best Batman. Also, the gargled voice by... uh, Bale, which seems like Pattinson's also going to do, is not my favorite thing. You know, that that I don't want to... Where's Rachel? Where is she? All that, you know, the fake stuff. But I thought he's a great Bruce Wayne. I thought he was good. I thought he wasn't bad or anything. He was good, but he's not... I still don't feel like there's one person that has made their mark on Batman where it's like you can't be untouched. That has happened with the Joker. Heath Ledger, by far, you know, great. Almost, like, drove him to insanity doing that role was amazing um with that being said i'm gonna move on to my number two infinity war avengers infinity war i mean i think that film is almost perfect i remember seeing it when the movie started to come out i started reading comic books when the movie started to come out but it wasn't because of the movies i was really young i started reading it actually because of uh don't laugh at me but marvel superhero squad the children's that television show that had no substance at all i remember going to universal and i was like "Ooh, superhero squad comic let me buy that and that started it and now i have spent well over two just too much money to fathom probably thousands of dollars on books and (laughs) maybe if i could go back i'd tell that kid don't do that but it's kind of too late now so but that I remember getting it, and then I started watching a couple of the movies. And when the first Avengers came out, I went and bought Infinity Gauntlet on... I didn't have it physically. I had it bought it on my phone, on like a book app. I, I've read that book a five, six, seven times. I love it. I, it's the perfect, you know, comic book book. Like, kind of the stakes are egregiously high... You know, it's kind of dumb. The villain is so overpowered. Every It's the biggest, like, crossover. Like, everyone coming to stop Thanos that's left. And so, the big part of Infinity Gauntlet is, man, just... The whole reason Infinity Gauntlet, Thanos wants the gauntlet and, you know, did the snap and stuff like that is... He, which they didn't... Thank goodness that they did not um, put this into the movie... Was he basically just wanted to, uh, he wanted to woo death. He wanted to take death and make him, her, his bride. For some reason, he had died before, and, like, death is, like, an entity in Marvel that is a woman. And so, he wanted to woo death, and he thought, oh, I'll kill half the universe, and that will make her love me, because, you know, death loves death. But that actually did the opposite effect. She did not like Thanos. It's kind of funny. And also, in the comics... Deadpool also is in love with death and death love Deadpool. So there's like a love triangle between Deadpool, the entity known as death, which is a woman and Thanos to a point where they've had a crossover where it's like Deadpool versus Thanos for death. Anyway, getting off tangent. So he 
at the start of Infinity Gauntlet, it's not like Infinity War where he, you know, is giving the the stones for the movie. He has the stones, and at the start of it, just kills every, half the universe. Snap, dead, dead. Like, and so the heroes don't even know who Thanos is, and all of a sudden, half of the universe is gone. And so, like, whatever is left in the scraps has to go into space and fight Thanos. There's literally every everybody left, and they just get they get washed, bro. Thanos, it is not even a competition, and it's like almost that. Like Thanos is like murking these fools to the point where, basically, at the end, it looks like Thanos is gonna win, and he basically Mephisto. Which if you have Paid attention to any theories as Marvel as of late. You've probably heard that name a ton in WandaVision. So like that. He never showed up yet. I don't know if he will. He's kind of like the devil in Marvel, but not. Um, but he was like Thanos' right-hand man. And he's like, oh, you need to give them a chance, you know. Because death, you know. She likes it. She doesn't like it when people are like, it's over. You got to give them a chance, you know. She's like, bully him. Really, he's doing that for his own personal gain. But, you know. Basically, he does... He brings Nebula, which you will know in the films. And in this, he is... Nebula is Thanos' like great-great-granddaughter from the future. That he has like, made her half alive and half dead. As in like a token for death. She Basically, Thanos defeats all the heroes. And then all the gods of the Marvel Universe start fighting him. And he beats all of them. To the point where he has like, left his body and become like god like so he's no longer in control of his body but he's like in control of everything else and after that nebula ends up taking the gauntlet off his hands reversing it the heroes reversing it a day and the heroes end up winning with adam warlock's help which will pop up in guardians 3 but to get back that's a little precursor for infinity war so when they were going to do this film i thought he is never going to get a snap if he snaps he kills half the universe which they can reverse but I just never expected it to happen. I said, when I when I went to Infinity War, I expected him to get like two, three, maybe four, maybe even five of the Infinity Stones. But he was not going to get them all. He was, I was going to be the two-parter. I knew it was going to be a two-parter. And they had announced it, you know. And so when he got, I wanted the snap to happen because I had read the books. I knew it was just a, just a great moment. And so when he got the stones after just, bullying everyone. The Thor, in Infinity War, the whole Thor storyline was great. They made Thor a superstar. He was already a kind of a superstar, like low-key, but like kind of overshined by Iron Man and, and Cap. But, I mean, he was the best part of that film. Man came back with a new makeover after Ragnarok and just, he, after getting his butt whipped, just started going ham on Thanos. I mean, had him down for the count. And when he had that moment, he's like, you should have aimed for the head. That was great. It's my favorite part of that movie has to be the ending. But seeing it on opening night, the crowd completely silent. That crowd was hollering. Especially when like Black Panther came up, Cap came up. You know, you haven't seen these characters together in a little while after Civil War. And especially most of these characters never interacted. Like Guardians haven't interacted with people. You know, Black Panther has... Loosely, he answered a little bit, but like most of the Wakandans hadn't interacted with, you know, these people and all this, you know, all the all the Avengers and stuff like that. And you got to see like, you know, some other you know characters, so like Spider Man kind of become an Avenger, you know, all that good stuff. And 
when he snapped, everyone went quiet. I remember just the panic in the room when everyone started to get um, blipped was just so awesome. It was sad, but it was awesome. And just the perfect ending of Thanos on a farm on a distant planet, you know, beaten up, but has the gauntlet still on his hands. Or I don't remember if he would taken it off or not. I think he had it on his hands. Just sitting there watching the sunset, smiling, knowing that he had won. He had beaten the heroes, which is the perfect, the perfect send-off. And for that reason, I, I can't put anything. I can't put Dark Knight above that. But now for my number one, we got about two minutes, so I'm going to speed run this. My number one, by far, not even, I don't think any film. This is my favorite movie. This is not my favorite combo movie. This is my favorite movie. All these other ones may be cracked at the top. This is my favorite movie of all time. It's Logan. Logan is the perfect film. I will fight anyone who says it isn't. It is a beautiful send-off to a character that has been mistreated in half of his films. He did, you know, he's good in certain X-Men films, and then he has X-Men Origins, you know. Hugh Jackman is the perfect Wolverine. There will never be anybody else that will touch him. He has left his mark on that character for 17 years. The perfect send-off that finally you get an R-rated Wolverine movie with the action you see from the comics is just brutal, brutal action. I mean, it was just so impressive. The story was great. The beats, it's the only film I've ever cried in. When, at the end of that film, when they flip the cross to an X, those children do, and they walk off knowing that they're going to have a rough patch, and but, you know, just such a touching send-off when that music started playing when the man comes around i mean everything in that film i will say is perfect the trailers got you excited the whole storyline how brutal it was it was a throwback to an old western and even like it paid off the other wolverine films where he said you know basically laura was kind of a clone kind of a daughter slash like clone of logan and in the wolverine i think yuki I don't remember her name. That may be wrong. If it is, I'm sorry. But she says, you know, the one that has the prophecy says, you will die with your heart in your hand. And Laura was his heart because that was her clone. And that was his daughter. That's his heart. You know, and, you know, when she's trying to bring him back, he's like, you know, this is it. This is all he, you know, he wanted. He's lived for so long. Such a great life. I mean, I don't know. That film makes me cry. I can't even, like, think about that without, like, tearing up. It's so perfect. Plus, it's a little uh, personal for me, my family. I'm not going to get into that, but a little bit of personal reasons. It's on my mom's side, I really like that film also. Is the perfect send-off to a character and an actor like Hugh Jackman, who's been doing a role for so long. And um, Patrick Stewart was great in that with the whole... Professor X having seizures and all that good stuff. And the clone of Wolverine. Of course, who kills Wolverine but a clone of Wolverine? Um, but with that, that will end my top five. We're going to head to a break. I will be back in two minutos. Yo, yo, yo. I am back for now. I'm going to hit my top five comic books all time. Starting at number five. It's a book you will have never heard of. I own every copy. I have met the author and have both books signed by the author and the artist. It is a little book called Chew. It's independent, made by Image, I think. And it is a kind of like cop 
mixed the horror book. Basically, there's a guy named Tony Chu, and his ability is basically he's in a world where there's a bunch of people, there's a bunch of normal people, and there's a bunch of people who have abilities from food. And his ability is he's a it's a kibopath, or it's like chibo or something like that. I may be pronouncing it wrong. Anyway, basically, anything he eats, like if he eats an apple, he can tell what tree it comes from. He can tell how it was fur made, how is it made, and stuff like that. And if he eats a piece of a hamburger, he can see all the memories of a cow, including its slaughter. So, he is used in the FDA for food crimes and stuff like that. He has to, like, it's almost like a zombie. Like, he has to, like, nibble on, like, body parts. And he will see, like, who's the murderer and stuff like that. And so, it's a very interesting book. But the really interesting part is basically, there was a bird flu five years before the book starts that killed, like, millions of people in the United States. They call it the bird flu. We don't actually know what it is. It's kind of a government conspiracy. It has ran for, like, 60, I think, 60 issues for over, like, five five years span, something like that. And it is phenomenal. And, and you get to see, like, other people with, like, different food powers. There's only, like, a certain number of Chibopaths in the world, so that's why it's so rare. Tony gets, like, update um updated. It's, like, zany... There's, like, a chicken named Pollo who's, like, basically awesome. Like, he can just murk anybody, kill anybody. He's, like, insane. He's, like, a Mexican wrestler chicken. Um, That's pretty good. The book, I don't want to spoil this book if you ever read it because, I, literally, I can't even, like, tell you the first five issues because it's just such a big spoiler. But I'm telling you, it is... Just, it is an amazing book. It is one of the greatest books I've ever read. They're making kind of a sequel to it soon, and they're making a spinoff right now. But if you can, it's made by John Lehman. Um, he said this is, this is like his life's work. If you can, I would recommend you pick it up. Um, if you have, also, this is just a disclaimer for all the comic books. If you want to get into comic books, but you don't, you know, if you don't care about being physical. Like, I like it being physical, but like, this is like the best alternative for you. There is a place I, on this show. We do not recommend people buying comic books online or just robbing them of the artists because these artists and creators don't get paid a lot. They don't even get rights half the time for movies. So I recommend buying them. And what I would recommend buying them on is this little app called Comixology. It works with Amazon. It is a digital app. It is the perfect way to read it if you're going to read it digitally because it's set up. You go panel to panel and you can see big splash pages but you can read every word very fluidly a membership for like five or six dollars a month and you get access to marvel dc independent i mean it's so much it works with amazon so like they have like half of the boys whole run in there they have half of invincible um you know and a bunch of marvel books like it's so many and they get more each month it's like the netflix and disney plus and hbo max combined for comic books it is, it's perfect. It's, it's beautiful. I would recommend getting it. And it runs through Amazon. They always have deals. Like you can buy like trade paperbacks for like two, two or three bucks that are like current. It, it's really good. That, um, that's where I'd recommend getting two or buying it physically, but physically going to be a lot more money. Um, so, and I know a lot of people are on a college budget, but I'm going to leave me on number four, Invincible, the show, phenomenal. Um, I will... In the next couple of weeks, I'm going to do a recap of all 2021 movies, TV shows, comic book stuff, all that good stuff. And when I do, I'm going to talk about Invincible because it was my favorite show of the year by far. Um, 
I knew the Invincible show was coming out. And on Comixology, they had the first 10 paperbacks of the 25. So I went and read one. One day, I was like, I'll try it. And I went and read the next 10. And I basically said, Mom, Dad, I want you to buy me these digitally for Christmas. I want the compendiums, which is like 1,000-issue books. And I read through them in like two or three days. I read like 2,000 pages. These books are so hard to put down. The good thing about Invincible and Chu is unlike other comic books, there's a start point and there's an end point. When you have Batman and Superman, there will never end because there will always be more stories to read. With these, this is it. You have one singular timeline and you get to see the end point for these heroes. And Invincible is a bloody good time. And with spoilers, if you've seen the show, because you know, most people have seen the show, or you know, you can, the whole Omni-Man twist where he has to fight Omni-Man at the end, the bloody mess that was, is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more stuff in this book, and it's all really good. I'm not going to go into it, because they're going to be... A, they already got three seasons of the show confirmed, and probably more, and I do not want to spoil this book, because if you if you can, I would say read the book. It is so good. The art's almost better than the show, the animation. It is it's phenomenal. The show's great. The books are spectacular. And it goes like 120-something issues. And, like, I would say, I like the 25 paperbacks, maybe, like, two or three of them, like, are all right. But the rest of them are, like, nonstop. Like, this man's life sucks. Like, and Invincible, it's like, imagine Superman without heat vision, but also, like, if there was a bunch of Kryptonians still lying around, like, realistic. Because, like, I mean, it gets bloody in these superhero fights. And all the villains are great. I cannot wait for season two. Invincible is going to be my number four. Um, number three, we're going to actually get into, instead of series, we're getting to trade paperbacks a little bit. Number three is Long Halloween. I mentioned this when I was talking about The Dark Knight. It is my favorite Batman book of all time. People say The Dark Knight Returns. I don't even, like, I don't, was that book even in my top 20? I don't think so. I think it's a good book, but, like, I think it blocked down. But The Long Halloween, perfect. Tim Sale, and I am blanking on the artist's name. Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Jeff Loeb, I think, is a writer, and Tim Sale's a or something like that, are such a good team. Everything they've done has been phenomenal. Um, they have done like a bunch of series from Marvel, and they do Batman, and the Long Halloween is nothing. It is a year. It's the mobs. It's like Batman's second year when he's still having to deal with the mob, and it's like the the dissolvation of the mob, but not because of Batman's hands, because there's a killer who is slowly each month on a holiday taking out this big crime family in Gotham. And you get to see Batman dealing with that, plus all of his rogues. All of them are in this. Joker, Riddler, Catwoman, um, Clayface, Mad Hatter. Um, uh, there's more I'm blanking out on. Killer Croc, Solomon Grundy. Uh, there's no Harley because Harley wasn't created at that point. But, you know, you get the point. The mob family drama is actually so good. It's really good. It's like the godfather of Batman comics. And then also you get to see the creation of Two-Face, um, which is just my favorite Batman villain. He's so good in this book. And the twist at the end, you can actually, I don't know, I haven't seen the films, but there is an animated version of this film on HBO Max that you can watch right now. But the twist ending, it just it's perfect. And Batman's not like overpowered like he is where he's like, I'm Batman, so I kind of win. Like he's just smarter than everyone. He's not because he's early on Batman. And so... It's my number three. It's quite possibly 
it, it, it would it's it's close to number one. Number one, two, and three are all interchangeable. Don't want to spoil it. If someone in Weagle is listening to this and wants to borrow this, I have two copies. I love this book so much. A black and white copy and a regular. If anybody listening wants to, you know, talk to me and read some of these books, I will hand them to you if I have a physical. But number two, New Frontier, DC, A New Frontier. This is DC at its best. Darwin Cook, rest in peace. What an amazing artist and writer. He wrote and colored all these pencils in for and all the art. It is basically the formation of the Justice League in the 1950s and everything that led up to that. But the thing is, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman are just like side characters. The main character is Hal Jordan Green Lantern and his old origin. And it's just a beautiful love letter to that era of the 1950s. It starts on a great cold opening with these obscure characters called the Losers. If you know DC, you know who they are. But, I mean, it gives me chills every time I read it, the first 20 pages. It's like a 300-page book. And it goes through every aspect of the DC Universe. And especially, like, the older characters. Like, the characters you would read in these 50s and 60s are in this book and are revitalized and has made me fans of DC. It is a beautifully made book. It looks like you're reading a 1950s book. And just everything about it is is perfect. Um, there's an animated movie that's all right. It's good. It doesn't do it the justice of the book. I wish there was more. But it is... It is my number two, probably my favorite graphic novel of all time because my number one is going to be a run. It's going to be the Hawkeye run by Matt Fraction and David Aha, Aja, or Aha, I don't, you know, I don't know how to pronounce the name. Pronounce your name and you listen to this, I'm sorry. But phenomenal art. It's a 20-issue run that deals with, it's really Hawkeye's first run in the best by far. Um, they take a lot of influence from it from the show. Not enough by my dad. But it makes you, it is Hawkeye at his best. A normal guy who sees these people are getting their rent stacked up and decides to buy a building with Avengers money and be this guy's landlord, these people landowners. The problem is he buys it from the mob. And the mob are very happy because this is the one building in this whole region they don't have and they're using for their operations. So an all-out war ensues between Hawkeye and these little people in this apartment complex and the mob, including like Wilson Fisk is kind of involved in this. You have a bunch of Hawkeye villains. They bring over all of Hawkeye's lore, including his brother Barry, um, Kate Bishop's in it and a great dynamic between him and Kate, because unlike the show, it's not like teacher mentor. Kate is established at this point. And so their relationship is very fun. You get to see Hawkeye's, love problems that you don't see in the show because he is not a he is not a father figure all right i will say that hawkeye is like the poor poor man cannot stick with one woman he is just he always gets just the <laughs> he he can't stay with one i'll just say that he cannot stay with one woman and he has a bunch of women problems and the run's perfect kazi the villain is beautifully introduced you see him in the show but in the thing, he is the clown, an amazing villain. Some great standpoints. Lucky the Pizza Dog. The art is great, very simplistic, but very beautiful. This run encompasses very different things. First, you have the building. At a certain point, Kate leaves to California and has her own side story, which is great. At a certain point, you have them dealing with like shield level threats, like of secu- national security, and then finally the climactic end of the 20-issue run with the mob and 
ensuing on the building and all these people having to fight. And I'm not going to spoil what happens, but I wish the run would continue. It is my favorite book of all time. I have read it all 20 issues probably 10 to 15 times. I would not put it down as a kid. I love it. But with that being said, we're going to head to one more break. I'll be back with your comic book news for the week. Try to speed run through that. And that'll be the end of our first episode. So I will see you in a couple minutes. Yo, yo, yo. We are back with our final segment of the show for the first hour. Which we will be two hours next week, I promise. But I'm going to get into a little comic book news. There's been a lot of news in these last couple weeks. For starters... <laughs> you have uh, Ezra Miller versus the KKK, where Ezra Miller on Twitter basically called out a certain segment of the KKK in North Carolina and basically said, I don't know if I can say this on air, he basically told them to, co- to commit suicide or they will do it for them. Hopefully I don't get flagged for that. It is news. Um, that was weird, but also you know relevant because he is the Flash. Um, we have a new Daredevil number one with the team... Basically, the same team that's been writing Daredevil, Chip Zdarsky and Mark, I think, Czech is the artist, um, who have been doing a phenomenal job. I've read most of this run. They're currently doing the Devil's Reign event, which is basically Daredevil and all the heroes, the street-level heroes of New York City, versus the Kingpin, who is the mayor, and basically just outlawed heroes and put a task force out on them. Um, the run, as in general, has been one of the better, one of the best Daredevil runs I've ever read. Um, phenomenal. I'm very happy that they're coming back and doing a new number one. Um, DC is going to kill the Justice League currently. They're planning on killing Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, um, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, um, what's his name? Green Lantern, John, John, no, it's not John Johns, John Stewart, something like that. Um, I don't know why I'm blanking out on this. It's the same one, you know him, he's the one from the Justice League animated series. Plan on killing him off. And then after their deaths in April, they're going to um, do a new event with the new, basically the legacy characters are going to take over called Dark Crisis. Joshua Williamson is going to be writing it, who's a very good writer. Um, his first, it looks like the new team's going to be Nightwing, Wally West Flash, which because Barry Allen Flash is currently off-world dealing with like the multiverse and stuff like that. Um, Hal Jordan and Jess... Uh, I'm forgetting her. Jessica Cruz, Green Lantern. There's two Green Lanterns. Wonder Girl, Yara Floor, the new Wonder, soon to be Wonder Woman in the future. There's been like a future slate comic book. She was pretty good. John, um, Kent, Jonathan Kent, Superman, who's been aged up recently. Shazam, Black Adam, and Damian Wayne, which I think is a pretty good, pretty interesting Just League team. I don't know how long this is going to be the status quo for, but I'm interested in it. I kind of wish we just don't kill off these characters, but I understand you don't want to take away from, you know, the other people. The Marvel has announced a new, their new crossover event that, you know, DC has Dark Crisis, which is going to be big. Because um, anything with Crisis with DC is massive. All Crisis events are like, you know, universe shaking. But now you have Avengers X-Men Eternals crossover called Judgment Day, where basically what I've seen is the Eternals, I guess they're trying to use them more because they had the movie. I basically said, oh, we got, we thought we got rid of all deviants, but it turns out we haven't because we didn't get the X-Men. So they're saying the X-Men are deviants. The X-Men just trying to live their lives over there, have their own, like, island in Krakoa. They're kind of, like, a little scary right now. It looks like they're, like, I don't know, taking over the... I'm not going to say they're taking over the world or anything like that, but, like, the X-Men are the X-Men, all right? The X-Men are like, yo, you're going to try to kill us. That ain't happening. And the Avengers are kind of in the middle of it. 
looks like they're trying to be like peaceful about this, like trying to not have this to happen. Um, oh, new uh, new Avengers line called Savage Avengers, which I think is very interesting because the lineup is Weapon H, which Weapon H is a basically a guy who has the powers of Wolverine and Hulk in his gray. I think it looks he's awesome. He hasn't been used very much. Cloak and Dagger, you know, you always have to have them too. Conan the Barbarian, which in the last couple of years came back to Marvel. He has come back in an Avengers event, um, which I'm very excited to see. It's going to be interesting. I'm assuming they're going to be on the Savage Land or something like that. It's a very interesting team. Conan the Barbarian, which I wouldn't say it's like really an Avengers character. It's going to be on the team. I guess they have to use him in some kind of way. Daredevil, but not regular Daredevil. It's the Electra Daredevil. The woman without fear. Electra has been Daredevil in the past probably five, six months. She took over the mantle win. Spoiler alert, in the new Daredevil, in the current Daredevil run, Matt Murdock went to prison at a certain point as Daredevil. So the Electra took over the mantle, which is very interesting. I'm excited to see any Daredevil on a Avengers team because Daredevil rarely gets a chance to sign in the team kind of standpoint. He had like defenders when they had the TV show come out that made the new team, but like I don't really count. Um, Anti-Venom, which I don't know who is the Anti-Venom. I don't know if it's, I don't think it's Eddie Brock or it may be Flash, but it looks like the Eddie Brock Anti-Venom, but it may be Flash Thompson. I don't know. Maybe somebody new, but I, I don't, I think the regular Venom is like God right now, the symbiotes. And then his son is the Eddie Brock Venom, I mean. He's like God of the Symbiotes. And then his son is like the other Venom, um, the main line. And so I don't know who this Andy it looks like Eddie Brock Andy Venom, but but it could be Flash Thompson in Eddie Brock form, which is kinda be weird because Flash Thompson is like Agent Venom and has like Agent Anti Venom when he became that. But I don't know. Andy Venom's gonna be on the team. And Black Knight, which is interesting. Because this new Black Knight has, like, a guard over his face. He doesn't look like a little bit of the traditional Black Knight. Which, it could be, um, I forget the character's name. But it could be the normal Black Knight. I think his name's, like, something with a D. They had him in Eternal, so that's why I feel like they're probably using that character. Oh, um, um, which, you know, was played by, um, Kit Harrington. I feel like they're going to use him because, you know, movies, stuff like that. It's Dane Whitman. It could be Dane Whitman, but I've also heard because you can't really see his face or his or her face. It could be a woman. It could be his daughter. Um, I don't know his daughter's name, but it could be Dane Whitman's daughter as Black Knight. Or it could be someone completely new because half the time Marvel just, you know, kind of throws characters in legacy form, especially for like characters like Black Knight, which aren't the most popular. But I feel like if I had to guess, it's probably going to be Dane Whitman. Because, like, you're making them in the movies anyway. They basically teased them at the end of Eternals that he's going to become Black Knight. So, I would expect it to be him. I'm very excited for that book. I'm very... I'm planning on picking up... Um, I'll try to pick up Savage Avengers. I don't think I'm going to pick up the Eternals X-Men crossover unless I hear it's really good uh, in Avengers. Or maybe if I get it on sale or something like that. I'm definitely not going to pick it up when it comes out. I might pick up Savage Avengers when it comes out. Or I'm definitely going to wait for the trade paperback. Definitely picking up the new Daredevil number one when that comes out. I will be interested in how DC kills the Justice League. And I'm probably will buy Dark Crisis at some point. The Avengers stuff, most of the crossover Marvel's done in recent years are not good. I've read some of them because in comicsology they're really good at getting like the new crossovers. Like Marvel puts them out pretty, like not like when they come out, but like 
months after, less than a year, or maybe like a year after, like when the new one comes out, they'll drop the old one. So like I read the Fantastic Four Avengers crossover, and I thought that was pretty. It was all right. None of them have been like stellar, but none of them have been bad. Honestly, I thought Secret Empire wasn't that bad. I thought people were ragging on that, but I thought it was all right. Um, I'm a little bit of a Cap fan, but I think that's gonna be it for me next week. Next week we're gonna do Peacemaker recap. Probably recap the whole show. Maybe I'll bring someone in for that. Maybe not. Who knows? Um, during that, uh, if we have extra time, I might, if we take an hour on that, I might take an hour and just maybe do the recap of 2021 next week, or maybe not. Who will know? Who knows? But I'm going to have two hours, so I'm going to have an extra hour. But that's going to be it for me. Thank you for listening. If you missed part of today's episode, you can find it on Transistor. I'm working on getting it on every podcast site, including Apple and Spotify, which shouldn't take long, but should be on there soon. But if you are listening to this, if you want and you want to hear more of me, I run Beat Drops on Mondays, 6 to 8. Me and my friend Adrian, we pick our playlist. We talk about anything. Um, but that's going to be it. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Multiversal. If you're listening live and missed some of the show, you can find reruns of this in every episode wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow Weagle underscore AU on Instagram for updates on this show and everything else we have to offer on Weagle. If you have an idea for the show, you can DM me on Instagram at DavisLoganHerson or Twitter at LHerson. Tune in next week for another episode of Multiversal. See you, chump.